1: Support for today's show comes from Google Play. Did you know that you can download and listen to audiobooks on Google Play now? That's right. With hands-free listening using Google Assistant or Chromecast, you can enjoy thousands of titles a la carte, no subscription necessary. There's even multi-device integration across the Google ecosystem. And for a limited time, you get $10 off your first one by visiting g.co slash play slash book That's g.co slash play slash book riot for $10 off your first audiobook. Find your story with audiobooks on Google Play.
0: This is the Book Riot podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode two hundred and sixty-nine. We're recording on Thursday, July twelfth. I am Jeff O'Neill. I am here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from Book Riot. Com.
1: You know, sometime we should do a show about things that are new, cool, and not worth talking about.
0: And it's just like forty-five minutes of silence <laughs> where we just like, say the URLs to stories. So <laughs> we just like—I <laughs> was listening to this audiobook. Uh, I don't want to say what because it's this is a bit of a slam on a butt, and like it's from a while ago. And so they're reading out the URLs that the person is talking about. One of them is like, and oh, the man. and you can find it at http colon slash slash oh. tinyurl dot com slash uh seven six four I was like oh my oh, god this is so that painful. is
1: that is painful or it's like here are all the things that we thought about talking about and took off the agenda but this is a <laughs> show about nothing it's like the Seinfeld version of the Book Riot podcast or
0: or or we could do one that's old. Square and worth talking about. So you just is they're worth talking. about? Well, I guess that's annotated. Actually, now that I say about it, that's that. That's, that's, that's like, a different show. We already do that. Show.
1: Now you're just describing us <laughs> having a conversation.
0: <laughs> uh, old square and worth talking about. Welcome to annotate. That's what we should use in the marketing copy for that. To get everyone on board.
1: You know, sponsors are just going to be beating <laughs> right. doors down. Right.
0: Brought to you by Werther's Originals this week. <laughs> uh,
1: what do you have for people who aren't millennials? <laughs>
0: denture creams and 401k plants.
1: Man, I'm excited about 401k plants. I like though. a good.
0: Hey, listen. I. Well, oh, we were joking because we did last Friday. We did um, our, our our friend. You've heard her, Jen, on the show. She dropped in a link mm-hmm. to a, a work Myers Briggs test, oh. and so we all did that. And you know everyone's like, if you haven't heard of it, it's the 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 science is suspect, suspect, but it's a good conversation starts so like INTP, ESFJ, like you get sorted into, and you get mm-hmm. four letters that describe you. And I would joke to Jen's like, I'm so boring now that my my result was 401k. That was the result. My <laughs> Myers Briggs. There's actually a book coming out. I, I don't know if I pinged you about this about the history of the Myers Briggs personality test. Oh, it's coming I'm out in ready. a couple months. <laughs> I, I may have written it down in my notebook of things to check out. I'm like, oh yes
1: i'm ready for that if you are uh interested in being similarly nerdy mm. just by fyi it's at um that test is at 16 personalities.com it's like mm. an updated version of yep. the meyersburgs we did all really have a lot of fun with it mm-hmm. that day and what if are you seemed, again would
0: you come out again
1: oh i can't remember it's i something right. um i'm always and i let me let me find it um
0: I came out I-N-T-F, which historically I've been I-N-T-P as I've gotten older and have to like talk mm-hmm. to other people more and have, you know, m- little children of my own ring around where you have to like think about other people more often. I think I've floated towards F in my dotage, so.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure that I'm an I-N, oh, maybe it's S. I'm an, it's always an I and always a J. I was going to say, the I... I,
0: the, the, I, could, I could bracket you. Those are obvious bookends for you, I would say.
1: Yeah, I'm an I-S. FJ, okay. yes,
0: yeah. And again, do you? I mean, you're 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 a former psychology person. What was your state of the the field um, sense of what the Myers Briggs isn't isn't good for? Let's do ten seconds on this one we'll move.
1: Oh, on. I think it's. I mean, I think you and I have talked about this. Mm-hmm. Is it's useful? It's about as useful as like astrological stuff right. in most situations where it it's not like. A, I don't think this is a a.
0: It's not a diagnosis, right? Yeah, Yeah. it's
1: not a diagnosis, it's not a prescription, but they're useful for giving people descriptive ways to discuss their personalities and their tendencies. Mm -hmm. If for nothing else than like, oh, this says this thing about me, and I find that to be really true, but maybe I couldn't articulate it to
0: you. Yeah, that's right.
1: Before. I mean, some of it is a
0: little tautological. It's like, do you like, you know, this versus this? And then they're like uh, you like this. And you're like, oh my God, that's true. It's like, wait, you just told, I just told you, I, there's a, there's yeah. a little of that. Element like, Yeah. It. The
1: Myers-Briggs didn't actually come up much in yeah. grad school since it's not like a clinical, it's not used for clinical things, but there was an interesting thing like in my ISFJ results in, mm-hmm. on this particular thing that said like you are an introvert, But you are also naturally social, which I think anybody who's seen me like in a cocktail party situation would agree. Like I like people and Mm -hmm. talking to people and can be very sociable, but I'm exhausted by it yeah. at the end of it. And I was like, Oh, that's a really good succinct description. Like I am not the sit quietly kind of introvert. Mm-hmm. Like I need a lot of time to myself, but in a social situation, I will be social. Um,
0: I need like, I, like a, oh, I need like a, I need a listing of all these online pseudo, not, they're not pseudoscience, but like quasi useful, um, hmm. tests psychology tests like like with a charlatan quotient next to them like what percent (laughs) charlatanism is this particular one because i'm willing to entertain a certain threshold of charlatanism but Uh you know if you know up to about 40 (laughs) percent i'd say i'd be willing to to buy the snake oil but above that i'm like i don't even bother with that like i want to be entertained but i don't want to be duped if that makes sense
1: yes yeah the one that i think is really interesting is the enneagram which is like nine different personality types see
0: that come on like
1: but it gets like used and adapted for a, t- a ton of things. Mm-hmm. People refer to it about it, I think, as widely as they refer to the Myers Briggs. So, um, but I think typing yourself in any of those, it's like, well, here's an interesting way to help me discuss myself with other people. Like, it led to some interesting discussions. Our d- uh, developer Alex and I like shared our results and had a long conversation about, like, oh yeah, this sounds like you, and yeah, this sounds like you, and that's it's sort of interesting as a like team building exercise mm-hmm. in that way. I don't think I would want it. Like I wouldn't have wanted to have to send you my Myers-Briggs before we started working together and have that be a set of expectations. Right. I don't think it's a set of expectations you live into anyway.
0: Is, is one of the nine things it <laughs> tests for your proclivity to take online personality exams? Like, is that something that's described?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, we are really making the show that's square and boring. The square
0: and right boring. And not we're talking about, we're kind of over three. Uh, let's do an ad.
1: Sorry, y'all. Let's do a sponsor. (laughs)
0: We're going to do follow up, but we'll come up back here. This episode of the Book Riot podcast and support for this today's show comes for you from Google Play. Did you know that you can now download and listen to audiobooks on Google Play? Well, you can. With hands-free listening, using Google Assistant or Chromecast, you can enjoy thousands of titles a la carte. No subscription necessary. Even multi-device integration across the Google ecosystem you can get Google on a bunch of different things. You can play them on those things. I checked it out. And, you know, I was like, okay, one I want to get, one I want to have everywhere, one I want to put in sort of my, my library of things to have. So I've been thinking about doing this for a long time. I finally bit the bullet and got to have to keeps, not on a, a library where I have to check it out and don't let's do it. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, narrated by Jim ah. Dale. We just need to have, it. it just needs to be in our family. We can put on all our phones, all our iPads, all the things that have the Google Play Books app that I listened to the first, I like, it's just, I, I had to stop it because I was like going to float off into like, you know, ha- <laughs> you know happy escapism just, land. Um, simpler
1: times. You know, I
0: think we're going to maybe have our, our kids listen to it in the car, but then we can also, you know, move to the house and play it on the computer or the iPad or something else. All the ways you can play an audiobook and all the places you can do it for a limited time. You can get $10 off your first audiobook by visiting g.co slash play slash book riot also there will be a link in the show notes makes it a lot easier but if for whatever reason you are typing on the fly that is g.co slash play slash book riot find your story with audiobooks on Google Play go check it out I highly recommend that Jim Dale series too there it is he's such a great narrator the best I haven't found a better one um, alright
1: okay we'll follow up follow up Month or so ago, I threw some maybe unnecessary shade at the Golden Man Booker Prize.
0: (laughs) I'll shade shade necessary is not a precondition of shade throwing.
1: Okay, good. Sometimes you just throw the shade. Um, But now there is a winner, and it is "The English Patient" by Michael Ondaatje has won the Golden Man Booker, which commemorates the 50th anniversary of the Man Booker Prize. And you may remember that the thing that I was scratching my head about was that there were five novels as finalists, each from, I think, one decade of the prize, um, and a judge assigned to pick a book from that decade, I'm pretty sure, is Mm -hmm. how that worked. Um, so this is, and of course, the Man Booker Prize honors the best novel written in English and published in Britain or Ireland. Uh, so that is the winner. I have seen The English Patient many a time, but never read it. And this did serve to remind me that I have been wanting to read.
0: Yeah, the book is a book. lot different. I love both of mm. those things. Mm-hmm. Both Michelle and I do. Actually, I shout out to Michelle. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I,
1: you know, okay, Sure. Yeah, she's sure. An interesting, that's, fine. Yes, that's
0: fine. Whatever. Yeah, the I don't novelist, know what to do with this. Uh,
1: yeah, Camilla Shamsi uh, was the judge for the 90s and she selected the English patient and then it won. So can I give that's you the, 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 the
0: mixed metaphor quote here that I really enjoyed? Uh, hold Please. on a second. Let me find it. This scrolling, this is a good podcast right here. this is really fun when you see this. Okay, here this is the original New York Times review written by Christopher Lehman Haupt. Reading the English patient, you hold on to the gunwale and your hat at the start. By the end, you find yourself resting on the bottom of the boat with your hat over your face. To keep off Mr. Ondaje's two brilliant prose. Apparently, boating has much more to do with hat placement than I thought. I don't know what that metaphor is <laughs> there about. there
1: aren't a lot of boats in this boat? No, it's not, a, I,
0: not a one boat that I can remember. It's all land-based. This is all terrestrial shenanigans. <laughs> Marry
1: shenan- a boat to be found. This is terrestrial
0: shenanigans. I, I don't know. Whatever. But... Um, I guess this is all the winners. I guess I would have thought something similar, but this is like the most well known of the books Mm -hmm. that was picked because there's an Oscar winning movie with Smoldering Ray Fines in it, who's great, but whatever.
1: Smoldering Ray Fines, I'll just take a minute. Yeah, Um,
0: even I was reminded, even in the screenshot that I guess, oh yeah, that's Ray Fines doing Ray Fines things in this movie.
1: (laughs) He does it so well. Yeah,
0: all Um, unshaven and dirty and, you know, just hot, literally hot under the collar for
1: most of the movie. Um, It's the brand, Jeff. It is. You know, I'm only glad that Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders did not win because it's too new to be the landmark of a 50-year-old prize. That was most of my shade. Um,
0: Andaje's an interesting guy. I I mean, I'm sure all the writers are interesting. I know a little bit more about him. I've always found him very, very fascinating to watch. And he's written several really interesting novels. None have been as famous as this. I remember... He just well actually you know what? One of our sponsors coming up mentions the, the news don't Dodge it weirdly. Oh uh, interesting. But called Warlight, which is sounds pretty good. I haven't read it yet. I, I don't know what to do except sort of say, sure. I I don't know that there's any outcome that besides I guess with Saunders, we've like, ah really are we and we we have to wait fifty years to do this again, I guess? Is that what we're I gonna guess, do? I guess and
1: it'll be like what is it if it's already gold at yeah. fifty, or I guess platinum at a hundred. Um but maybe maybe they'll do it again at 75. Yeah, whatever it's, the, whatever the robots arbitrary. who are writing
0: and reading books to each other will they're be just, reading at 50. They're
1: years. just having meetings being like, oh, 50 is a number. We should do a thing.
0: Yeah, uh, okay. I'm here for it. I mean, sure. if it gets people to read this book, I guess that's good. Um, if yeah. you like the movie, I, I don't know. I don't people, know. Some people are like, oh, the book was better, blah, blah, blah. This one, I think it's an interesting experiment to see uh, how much the the, what they needed to do to the movie to make the movie what it is because it 's not it 's not a challenging movie necessarily, but it 's not mm-hmm. straightforward you know there 's time shifts and you don 't really it 's one of those where you get interleaved back and flash forwards and flashbacks and you 're not filled in until the end um but i wouldn 't say it 's a puzzle while you 're watching it it 's a beautiful movie, especially this is one of those movies now I think in the era of like big 4k TVs, you get a good version of this or get on, you know, 4k Mm. and Netflix or iTunes, it's going to look just fantastic on a big TV as well.
1: Maybe I'll just go watch it again.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know how I am. I don't care if people want to read the book or movie or do both. Um, but for those of you who are wondering, if you've only seen the movie, the book experience is different. And I think it's different enough to be sort of an interesting experience. Um, now, if you've only read the book and haven't seen the movie, I think that also holds. Uh, I recommend everything to anyone, except if you don't want to, then that's fine too. Boy, I'm <laughs> a which which my is which Myers Big Personality Test is that like a shruggy emoji? Is this, I don't know. Uh,
1: what were well, we were joking on the staff Slack in the last day yeah. or so about like what if we just decided that we couldn't possibly give specific book recommendations about anything <laughs> because everyone is so Everyone's unique. Different, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Everyone gets the same. I recommend all things. Mm-hmm. Um, okay.
0: This is. I thought this was. I mean, I always like this one. Um, Best selling books of mm-hmm. 2018 so far. So we've we've passed the the halfway point in 2018. Um, the year that feels like a thousand years. <sighs> uh. Well,
1: you know, what I do you want to do?
0: What do you want to well, do here? I
1: spoiled our game and I looked at nah, it. I know
0: we haven't done that in a while. Actually.
1: We'll have to play the guessing game on something soon. I'll, I'll like save myself at the end of the year and not look at things. Um, Interesting and not terribly surprising, I guess, is that political titles mm-hmm. have done very well this year. Um, three of the top six books of the year so far are related to politics. Um, number one is Fire and Fury by Michael Wolf. Number three is James Comey's A Higher Loyalty, which um, felt like it was a bang and then a whimper. Like Mm -hmm. it came out and then people stopped talking about it, but it at least came out of the gates hot enough to have landed in this number three spot. Um, And then number six is A Day in the Life of Marlon Bundo, Mm -hmm. which is the parody children's book title that Chronicle published um, by John Oliver and the staff of um, John Oliver's show that details a fictional um, same-sex romance between Vice President Mike Pence's pet rabbit and another rabbit um so uh, some serious insidery kinds of stuff and then also some play there the uh, in between in those top ones number two is magnolia table by joanna gaines from hgtv Uh, number four is a wrinkle in time by madeline lingle so got the movie Movie boost Uh, then there's dogman and cat kid by dov Pilkey, who writes the um Captain Underpants books. I don't know any ma- anything about Dog Man. Oh, and Cat kid. my
0: son Ames loves this series. He's dying oh, really? for this book. He's seven. Um, it's it's fun. It is fun, uh, especially if you're a seven year old. If you're forty year old, it's not as much fun. But uh, you could do worse for something that mm-hmm. really gets your kids laughing. And that's I think that's what we like It's a it's a comic a graphic novel series.
1: Fun um, and because we are. Talking about this in July mm. and not <laughs> yeah, March, right. we are after graduation season. Number eight is old reliable. Oh, the places you'll go by Doctor Seuss. Really incredible.
0: <laughs> um, you know, there's an interesting, um, there's a, a, a twin. I guess you call it uh, off-color self-help books. At t- come clock in at ten mm-hmm. and eleven. You are a badass by Jen Sincero, and the subtle art of not giving an f apostrophe ck or asterisk ck by Mark Manson. Which, you know, there was a little blooming and there's some continued long tail for this irreverent mm-hmm. form of self-help, which I think was was the first one of those Sarah, uh, Sarah, Sarah Knight's Knight. parody um, version. It's not really a parody version, but more of a, a counter-narrative to magic Mary, of not uh, Marie giving Kondo's. And there's been several of these and that's those these have been mm-hmm. selling like these are in paperback I was just in Powell's today and they're there at the front and people are buying them I see them all over the place.
1: Yeah, I think uh they're fun and there is something especially in where we are in yeah. the world right now there's something like very nice and refreshing about like you've got this. Right. <laughs> you know like just the book version of it's not deep self-help this is not like get your journal and go like do some deep introspection it's basically like a very supportive friend patting you on the back being like you can go do this mm. or you don't need to care about that and that's that very appealing also something like the subtle art of not giving an f is highly marketable and sticky and like that's a fun gift to give mm-hmm. um interesting to see those the sun and her flowers yeah, by i know K- yeah rupee core i have been corrected yes not we have cower, we're trying um, to do better about that. Is number twelve and milk and honey is still at number fourteen? Like she is still just selling a ton of poetry.
0: Wow, yeah, can I? Can we? Can we have a quick diversion about this,
1: please? So I was in
0: Target. Um, well, when you have kids, you're in Target uh, twice a day. You have to go at eight a.m. and one p.m. You just go. Sounds about right. And I always am interested to see what books they are carrying because they have mm-hmm. a book section. Like it's a big deal. Yes.
1: I walked through the Target book section last and, week, and Jeff. they
0: have the poetry section, which is the 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 core books but also there's like a constellation of other books that have like mimic covers that look like you could Mm. confuse them for Mm -hmm. for milk and honey and um the sun and her flowers i I didn't thumb through them to see if like stylistically thematically or or whatever it shares but there's like a marketing thing going on with i think pitching these books to like millennial women is, mm-hmm. is who's buying these, and yeah. there's there's a whole there's a whole uh, system, a solar system of these. I thought it was fascinating, really fascinating.
1: Yeah, I, um, a friend of mine was commenting on it recently that like all you really need to become a poetry sensation on Instagram is to write like you know feminist, ra- like short feminist ragey poems mm-hmm. with t- like twee illustration. <laughs> Which is not to knock the quality no, of right. rupee core at all, but there definitely is an attempt to like ride that yeah. train um, or jump on those coattails.
0: Um, uh, speaking of things I saw in Target, the Gaines books, this is not a thing I know about, Joanna and Chip Gaines is that his
1: name? Mm-hmm. His name is Chip. You're not familiar with the fixer upper? Well, no, I mean
0: I know what it is now, but I was like, "What is this book?" Because the Magnolia Table by Jonah Gaines has sold like gangbusters, and it gets a huge placement in Target. Like, mm-hmm. not surprisingly, you could buy all these books at Target. I mean, because for reasons that you know that are obvious to everyone here, but like that was the one that, and just looking at the sales, I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's just it's an enormous selling book." I, I, it's just a giant
1: you know? lifestyle mm-hmm. kind of. Situation, You know, you'll appreciate the title of Chip's memoirish book. It's Capital Gains. I saw that.
0: <laughs> I saw that. You got to watch out for those capital gains taxes. They'll get you every time. Uh, the other, you know what? And I, I had this sort of, I guess I've been feeling this way, but I hadn't quite realized it yet. But number 13, A Wonder by R.J. Palacio is still mm. on the list. I think mm-hmm. that's now in like the middle grade canon. That book has been selling for years now. There yep. was a movie that came out and still it, it's, endured or like sold past the movie bump you would expect mm-hmm. like you yeah, see it, it on was, reading lists like it's just I part of the thing was, kids read now
1: it was on summer reading list yeah. when I was a bookseller which was almost 10 years ago yeah. and that's still it's still cooking um let's see what else is interesting here green eggs and ham by yeah. dr Seuss that's number 16 always popular as well you got your diary of a wimpy kid number 12 at number 17. The big uh, thriller of the year, or I think it was this year that it came out, The Woman in the Mm -hmm. Window by A.J. Finn. Um, Let's see, The Great Alone by Hannah Kristen. I don't know that one. And then Strengths Finder 2.0 by Tom Rath, which is, there's always one business book that like everybody decided to read that year. And I guess the thing is, this year, people are revisiting the Strengths Finder.
0: Right. I wonder if some of these irreverent self-help books are crossing over into like the business thing.
1: Oh, like are there corporations? Yeah, reading? you are a badass, right? Yeah, yeah, probably.
0: Um, that you know, in terms of there's not any. I always like to like like do a countdown to. Um, what is the first book that's not by a giant author, or get a movie or TV bump, or as part of a property? Like, mm. what's the first one here? Uh, uh, just so just Kristen Hanna wrote the, uh, Nightingale with this, her, her new novel on um, the great alone, but then Nightingale. So oh, it Cowell. says
1: Hannah Kristen on this list, but that has to be wrong.
0: Oh, wait, isn't that her yeah. name? Isn't her name? Hannah well,
1: Kristen, you, I thought it was Kristen Hanna. Everybody else is listed on here, first name, last name. Oh, it
0: is. Yeah, she just got it backwards. I didn't even recognize okay. that. See, that's what happens when you have two first names. Uh, well, you're your just
1: name. busy being in Target all the time. How could you pay I know. To- I'm just
0: wandering <laughs> in Target, and they, they, they don't even shelf things by names. They just put it by face out by category. Um, I think you have to get all the way down to... I'm throwing Clinton and Patterson out for a variety of reasons, mm-hmm. but like, that's... I think for fiction, you've got to get all the way down to... I'm throwing Stephen King out. Uh, Hopefully,
1: yeah.
0: I guess it's The Woman in the Window at number 18.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so.
0: Um, no YA... I'm just trying to think if there's any interesting observations to be made about this. Yeah.
1: There's, they're not a giant YA. A wrinkle in time year. is middle grade, right? Do we yeah. yeah, And right? I think a wrinkle in time got that spot of the movie that was going to cause a big book bump and it just happened to be middle grade yeah. instead of YA this year.
0: That's interesting. Um, and no, I'm trying to think Are there big YA adapt adaptations on the horizon.
1: The hate you give.
0: Yeah. Not on the list. Interestingly. Um,
1: I'm surprised yeah, but it, well, it did not, yeah. out- oh wait, is the this just this adult? Be- is this,
0: are we just looking at adult?
1: No, because there's.
0: Oh, you're right, because middle grade, we just said this.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah. I'm surprised um, that
0: like the great alone has outsold the hate you give so far this year. They don't give us numbers on this, thanks a lot.
1: That's true. What's well, not- and like the hate you give will be on this list at this yeah. time next year when the movie has come out. And did you see the trailer the, like, for that? Research, did you- I did. It looks so good. <laughs> that's going to be a hard one to watch, but it looks so So good.
0: For that one, I'm glad I read the book already, if only because I can sort of like gird my loins uh, for the movie. Um, Yeah, looking forward to that. Okay, let's move along. Uh, What's
1: next? Let's see. Let's go
0: down. Let's go down, down, down,
1: down. Oh, all right. Down, down, down. Down to where?
0: Mm, You want to do the tour stuff or the weird Barnes & Noble experiments first?
1: You know I always want to hear about a weird Barnes & Noble experience.
0: Yeah, the next one we might talk about uh, for a little bit. Uh, actually, let's do a sponsor. Do it. Do our next, our, our our last sponsor, so we can. Okay, ramble. sure.
1: Yeah, our next sponsor is Penguin Random House Audio. As the premier publisher in the audiobook industry, Penguin Random House Audio is dedicated to producing top quality audiobooks written and read by the best in the business. And today they're recommending Warlight, written by Michael Ondaatje, who we were discussing earlier, Mm -hmm. uh, who's the author of The English Patient, and it is read by British actor Steve West. Set in the decade after World War II, this dramatic story is told through the lives of two teenagers and the eccentric group of people they become involved with. Visit tryaudiobooks.com slash bookriot for more book club suggestions and other titles from penguin random house audio so try audiobooks.com slash book riot
0: so barnes and noble um trying something Um,
1: i haven't read this so i am fresh for this one
0: i think they should try having a ceo for longer than 18 months um but they're trying a summer game night series will okay. launch in all of the chain stores starting on Thursday, July 19th. So you've got as a week from today. It will run through August 23rd. The stores will offer a 10% discount on the games featured each evening, while stores with the cafe will offer additional discounts on food and drinks. So basically they're going to have you can go play the game if you like it, you can buy it. It's I think they're trying to do community activity stuff. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I don't know, like exploding kittens, monopoly, categories and scrabble. Well, okay. I mean, I guess this is except for exploding kids. You could have done this in 1991. Um, so there, there we go. I, I guess what I'm more interested in is like this reminded me that we haven't heard much about another uh, book club selection from from Bars and Noble. Oh,
1: they picked one. They did after yes. So there was the first one was the Meg Wallitzer yeah. novel, The Female Persuasion, and there is another one that I cannot remember what it is. But we were talking about it on the Insider Slack, and it's like a... Oh, man, I don't want to like shade somebody's book because I don't remember the title. But it was somebody who was like, well, this is still feminist, but it's kind of watered down and might be like a little less potentially controversial than the first one. But I I cannot remember um, what that title was. Let me see if I can find it well. So, hmm... What do you think about these game nights Well, in I guess
0: it's interesting because there's there's um, there's a couple, there's quite a few dedicated gaming stores around here. And I went in one the other day with the kids just because they looking around in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they had a bunch of games you could buy and then a bunch of tables in the back. And people were playing games and hanging out there, which I thought was very cool. And I know this used to be a thing you could do in, like, hobbyist shops or gaming shops. But it seems like it's become more and more mainstream. And it seems like... Barnes and Noble is trying to figure out ways to get people yeah. into the stores. For yes. Just get people into the stores. Yeah. I don't think this is going to work. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, the gaming stores, what they do is they attract people that are interested in games, but also feel comfortable and welcome playing board games together. They can bring their friends and they buy Mountain Dew and, you know, they hang out. Like it's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think it's a cool idea for a bookstore to do. I think for something for every chain to do to play Scrabble is like the wrong, it's like the right thing done wrong.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was I was thinking that too. Like if this is just a cover to get people in the door, it's an interesting idea. Like you're not gonna make a million dollars selling games to these right. people. So I'm hoping that that's not the end goal of it hopefully it's about getting bodies in the stores something and i don't know how these games were selected they might have constraints or corporate partnerships or some game company version of co-op that determined why they're playing scrabble and not the game of life or whatever Um, but i think if it were a little bit broader like if you do a family game night and it's like there will be 20 things and you can explore that might be
0: Mm
1: -hmm. more fun um it seems like this seems so par for the course for Barnes and Noble experiments where they recognize a piece of something that's going on like I am hearing things about game nights as like a thing to do with your group of friends yeah. instead of instead of just having a cookout like have a game night get people together or go to a game night like you're talking about at, um, at a game dedicated store but this doesn't this doesn't sound like super appealing like mm. why would I go to a Barnes and Noble to do this? I guess if you have kids and it's the dog days of summer, cause this thing is running from right. July 19th your through August runs, 23rd. Yeah. You got those hours to fill in between realizing you need more toilet paper and mm-hmm. face wash. Like it, it could, it could be a thing to do in the middle of summer when you are looking for an activity. Right. But the typically the things that, got people, when I was at Barnes & Noble, the things that got people in the door just because they were looking for something to do did not actually result in selling them anything. Yeah. Like, the the greatest hope here is that these people end up at the cafe and buy a $5 latte mm. and a chocolate chip cookie that has, like, a 300% margin or something.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you, you I know? mean, it's one of those things, too, where... Yeah, I think the reason... And I think some independent bookstores have gaming nights like this, and you go play Dungeons & Dragons or whatever. So, like... I think you almost need to lean into the geek element of it. Like, don't play Monopoly. Mm. Pl- play, uh, I don't know, what, whatever the games are that that nerds play these days. It's been a while. Like, I was one of these the guys. The Cones of
1: Dunshire. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yes, the Cones of Dunshire, exactly. Um, I get to be the Maverick. Anyway, uh... I think it could work on an individual basis, but I think you kind of have to build this from the ground up, like from the top down. Like, it would be cool if a local, a Barnes Noble, like paired with a local gaming club and they hosted. Like Mm -hmm. bring the community, don't don't try to like impose the community stuff. Like, you know, make yourself kind of a hermit crab shell for these other people, groups, or have do this with a whole bunch of different things. Have a knitting club, have all these things. I -hmm. think that's a good idea. It's the kind of thing an independent bookstore would do, but it, it feels like it would be hard from a corporate level to institute this. And this is the kind of thing that a corporation can do, but I think it's also it's, the wrong thing to do.
1: I think so too. It has a little bit of the flavor of like forced fun, like yes. going on a going on like a corporate bonding <laughs> retreat. Like, you know, the they gonna have I trust falls, want... trust fall trust exactly. night at Barnes so, and Noble. Yeah, like this is the corporate bookstore version of having to go on a trust oh fall God. with your coworkers, you know? Like, could we just air the grievances? I don't want to do the ropes course. It's Uh, just not quite exciting. It's just not quite exciting. And as you said, other than exploding kittens, they could have had this game night in 1991, which there's just nothing fresh. I think about this idea. Um, why would you go to a game night at a Barnes and Noble when you could do it in your own living room, uh, or at a game store or with people that exist in your community? It's not like the worst Barnes and Noble idea. No, I
0: I don't. I don't. It's a, it does feel a little and they mentioned in this piece is a piece on the Verge, there's be link in the show notes that you know some people are like I feel like the that this is getting in at the end of a fad mm-hmm. is the wrong thing, but the cresting of a rise like it's a little bit of like where where are my people going so I should lead them rather than finding a way to get out in front it's, of be a part of a phenomenon
1: this is like your Parent who has discovered slang a year too late and now is calling everything "bay."
0: Yeah, yeah. Or it's the it's the uh, Barnes and Noble equivalent of that Steve Buscemi gif of like, "How are you doing, (laughs) fellow kids?"
1: Fellow kids. Yeah. Um, Um, So I googled it, and the new Barnes and Noble book club suggestion is "Clock Dance" by Ann Tyler, Uh, and like that's a solid like book club author. Um, Boy, it is. But again, I wonder like. If you're seeking community around books, there are so many ways to do it that wandering into your local Barnes & Noble seems like a pretty Mm high-friction choice to make.
0: We had some email follow-up that... I don't really have a a hook to hang it on, but this reminds me of people that either went or had friends, family that went to the Female Persuasion, Mm. Mm ranging from just a couple people were there to, like, 19 people were there.
1: that's great. Um,
0: Various levels of success. Some would go back if the book was interesting. I don't think... It didn't, it didn't catch on like a house of fire. let's, let's put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. But it also wasn't uniformly um, Dripsville, USA. Uh, <laughs> which, you know, I wouldn't have been surprised by either. So't let us know podcast if you're interested in summer game nights, if you know bookstores that do game nights um, that are successful, if you yourself go to tabletop gaming stores. A a table. This is one of those things. I think you're dead on about a thing to do that's not going to a bar for adults. But also, Mm -hmm. when I was 14, I would have killed to go play like uh, these dumb role playing. And they're not dumb. They were nerdy role playing games that weren't. I wasn't even cool enough to play Dungeons and Dragons. Like that was too cool for me. But like Mm -hmm. a a third space we could go that wasn't our house or a friend's house or the library or school to like go eat Funyuns and drink Mountain Dew and talk about our, our wizard swords um, and their stats. Like I would have loved that. Uh, and I wonder if that's something that's happening now. You know what they're going to get on now? Uh, and it's going to be in, it won't be for 36 months. Escape rooms at Barnes and Noble. They're going to get on that <laughs> in about three years. <laughs> they'll be ready. They'll, fin- they'll, they'll finally hear about
1: that. Oh, you know, it hurts because it feels so <laughs> true.
0: <laughs> Though I have to say, if they did an uh, escape room in a bookstore... That would sell right now, but you got to do it now. You can't wait till after the Tokyo Olympics in 2020 to get this stuff done. Um, anyway, so there's that. One more story. So this is a complicated one. Why don't you take the tour story, and then I'll follow up with the the the, the panorama okay. project stuff. Uh,
1: making me take the downer news. Uh, so tour books, which is a division of Macmillan Publishers, has decided that um, they are going to. No longer make the ebook versions of titles available for library lending at the same time yeah. that the rest of the versions of a book go on sale. They have, um, and Tor, if you're not familiar, is a publisher of sci fi fantasy, I think the leading global publisher of science fiction and fantasy. Um, so they are changing their ebook lending model as part of a test program to try to determine the impact of e-lending on retail sales. And they're doing this because their current numbers indicate that e-book lending through libraries is having a direct and adverse impact on retail e-book sales. And like this is a thing that we've wondered yes. aloud about on this show many times over the years is just the general impact of library lending on book sales. And what we have heard from publishers and booksellers and librarians is that kind of two things. In general, it's a, there's room in this ecosystem for everybody, but that the publishers have almost universally said in the past that they believe library lending actually supports book sales, that they don't see it as cannibalizing book sales. Um, And I don't know if there's data, Uh, presumably they have data to make that Statement, but that's what we've always heard is oh, yeah, no, we love it. Like, if you can't, if you're not going to buy a book, like, get it from the library, that still supports the publisher and tells us something about sales. But Tor seems to have different numbers here that their ebook lending through libraries is impacting negatively ebook sales. So, their solution is that the ebook will become available for sale when other formats of the book come out, but the ebook will not be available for library lending until four weeks later. So well, let's stop
0: there for a second because I, I think we want to talk about the nerves. Oh, sorry,
1: four months. Four months later. later,
0: let's stop there just for a second. I, I'm not. I mean, again, feel free to email us podcast at bookwright.com, See what you think about this. This seems reasonable to me. Let's let's assume for the moment that their their suspicion is true. They're going to do the study. They're going to find out about it. That the sale of eBooks is being negatively inf, influ, uh, impacted by the availability. Uh, basically a street date availability of uh, e-books and lending libraries, which makes sense to me. Tor especially does a lot of ebook only titles. So I wouldn't be, I mm-hmm. mean, you know, three ninety nine kind of stuff for a novella. So that makes sense to me because, because the experience for a lot of us of reading an ebook is not that different than uh, checking it out on Libby in getting it Mm -hmm. because it's not sitting on your shelf. You don't get to, I mean, you get to keep it, but you don't have it in the same way. You have a physical, physical book, which I think maybe makes the competition element stronger just because the experience is basically the same.
1: Right. Like reading in the Kindle app versus reading in the Kobo app versus reading in the Libby app are like not even marginally different in my experience.
0: And in some degrees I prefer one versus the other. Mm -hmm. And they're not, they're not, not make, they're not withholding it forever. It's four months, and I guess, well, I guess it it brought us to the question what do we what do we expect from our library usage? Do we expect to get everything that a publisher releases on street date? I guess that's been to this point the assumption, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure that that matters. I mean, you, if you get the book, you have to wait four months. Is that big? Is that that big of a deal? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I also understand this from. The business decision perspective. Like, if you think that you're losing money because of these things, mm-hmm. you would test out what happens if you change it and you put in this waiting period. Um, and it's not an ultimate gate on access to these titles, it is just a waiting period. So it's not like, oh, if you can't afford to buy the ebook, you're never going right. to get to read this thing. It's not an access question. I don't think, I think this is a bad decision from an optics and PR perspective. Like, um, it's just a hard, because it is just a numbers decision. It's a hard one to sell. There's nothing exciting or great about it. There's no good news for readers here. Um, so discussing it is basically not fun. Like the piece that we're linking to is from readersfirst.org, um, which is referring to this as like going back in time to publishers being suspicious of ebook lending and they're wondering about what this data is. Um, could it be the ebook readers are discovering the self published ebook market and they're buying titles directly from authors and other platforms? Like maybe it's not libraries' fault that your sales are going down. Um, and there is a gen- this general notion that like that libraries are just good for the book ecosystem, but mm-hmm. what's good for readers is not the same thing as what's good for publishing. Yeah. and I think this is a case of publishing making a decision that's good for their business, but. And and it's very defensible from that perspective, but it's hard to defend to the diehard reader who is used to being able to have the expectation of access to everything yeah. at the library on the street date of a book's publication. I
0: mean, it is a, as part of a test program to determine the impact of e lending on retail. So it is theoretically they could decide that they get the null hypothesis: there's no difference. Like that's it sounds possible that that's open. That's that question is still open in their mind, I guess. I guess I feel like maybe there's a little bit of a have your cake and eat it too for for all parties involved. Okay, mm. publishers can sell more titles and people can still get the ebook from the library. It just doesn't happen at the same time because I can rent movies from the library, but I don't get uh, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp today. I got to wait till it comes out on DVD. And no one's like, no one's telling Marvel like, oh my God, you're really undercutting libraries. It's like, no, you just wait. Is it epic? I, I guess- I guess for me, I mean, I'm a heavy user of the library. And if if I could say, well, libra- publishers can make more because the people who want to read it right then capture that value. If they're going to pay the four bucks for the ebook or whatever, let them pay four bucks for it. But mm-hmm. for the rest of us, let us wait. I guess I'm not so sure how it's a giant step backwards. If you have to wait four months, like I have to wait longer than that for something to come out on DVD.
1: Yeah. I agree. I don't think that waiting is having to wait to read a book no. is. Like it's a negative experience maybe for a reader or it's unpleasant that you have to wait for something because a publisher made this decision. But I don't think that this is like a form of suffering that rises to the level of like a wrong is being done to readers in this decision. Um, If there are elements of this that we're missing from a library perspective, I'd be really interested – in hearing about that. So podcast at bookriot.com if you want to tell us your thoughts there. But from a business perspective, I totally I think this makes sense. And I also wouldn't be surprised if this is not the last time that we see a publisher make yeah. some changes to the way that they distribute eBooks for lending to libraries in order to capture the sales that they can capture at the outset.
0: Yeah. Me, because like, I mean, Michelle and I used to go to movies all the time. And now we only go a few year, times a year because it costs $10,000 basically to get a sitter mm-hmm. and whatever. And so effectively, our uh, uh, theatrical release is when it comes out on DVD or on iTunes to buy on iTunes. And so really, it's just shifted. We still get it. We can still get it, Um, but we just have to wait a little bit longer. And I guess my feeling is if you can afford to buy books at all, which there are people that can't, so I understand that, but if you're so hot and bothered to go read a book the day it comes out or the first week it comes out, maybe give the publisher and author some money for that. Desi- I mean, maybe translate that into some desire, you know, show that you mm-hmm. want it and go buy it if you can't. If you can't, if, you know, you're buying other things, I get that. But you also might think about, like, am I so excited for this book and I'm, that I'm mad that I can't get it from the library for free Think about where your dollars are going, and maybe that you maybe you want to reflect, or maybe you don't want to reward tour for this thing. Maybe that makes sense too. I don't know, <laughs> but you might, you might think about that um, a little bit. I, the more in, that, that's interesting, and I'd be I would love to see them release the results. I don't know, mm-hmm. but this was a link, and the link in this story was to something, an even bigger, I guess. Project related to the same question about the relationship of library availability and sales. It's called the panorama project, which it looks that the homepage looks like it's like an REI sub brand. I don't know why there's a guy on the on the rim rock of the, the Grand Canyon. Anyway, that's a separate question. But what it is? Um, are you looking at it right now? Are you looking?
1: At the I am looking at yeah. it. He's he's surveying the vast, yeah, you know, landscape I, that he's about I, to explore. I guess he's
0: looking at the complete available titles that libraries are going to have from publishers. If this, uh, <laughs> I don't know. But so what this is? Um, here's the here's the the research goals are. Do titles held in high percentage of the country's libraries have more visibility on search sites as Google and Bing than titles held in lower percentage of libraries? Does the fact that today's libraries hold copies of a title in multiple formats impact discovery on search sites? Does the information contained in library catalogs help proliferate title information on discovery sites, social sites, and fan sites? Do library holdings impact author brand awareness? Do library holdings increase awareness of and sales of an author's backlist titles? Do library promotions of a title and or author impact, uh, and or author impact awareness in sales? Do titles held, ha- held in a high percent of the country's libraries have higher sales than titles held in a lower percentage of libraries? So we talked about on an episode of AB Tending to the Universe and wanting publishing mm-hmm. to do some work. And gosh darn it, Rebecca Shinsky, they're doing it.
1: Oh, what a beautiful day! Yes, as, as you were reading the questions that they're going to be exploring, I was realizing how many like very yes. closely held, like mm, closely held agendas are going to come at these questions. Mm-hmm. Like, do library holdings increase awareness of and sales of an author's backlist titles? Is a, a bit of at least sort of industry accepted. I'm doing scare quotes truth right now that like book it's good for a book to be on shelves in libraries because it makes it possible for people to discover that mm-hmm. book and it builds awareness. But like, what if the answer is no, what if the data is no, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. You Which know, it might like, well what, be, Right, like, what are the libraries going to do? Or if publishers, the, I mean, right? Yeah. Or if the sales come out, in, or if sales, if the numbers come out, um, the results to this indicate that libraries aren't good yeah. for publishers or aren't making these things possible. Like, it's going to be. I, I really want the answers. I also just really want to watch everyone react to them.
0: Right. Well, because the 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 narrative we have now is that library, but. Libraries having copies of books is good for those books and those titles and that publisher, which feels a little bit like magical thinking to me, right? It just so happens that the thing that makes everyone the happiest is also the true thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know, man. Like, Maybe that that's possible. Maybe it is magic, and that just having more books out there. In which case, where does it end? Does having free stacks of books on the street corner help sales? Like that's the other question, right? Like anyway. But then looking at the people involved, the advisory council are some heavy hitters in this. Todd Carpenter, um, executive director of National Information Standards Organization. Skip mm-hmm. Dye, which is also an awesome name, vice president for li- vice president of library marketing and digital sales. Random House, PRH, mm-hmm. uh, S- uh, Sari Feldman, Executive Director, the Cuyahoga County Public Library, Susan Hildreth, Treasurer, the American Library Association, I mean, on and on, um, uh, Erica Lizardo, Publisher, Services, General Counsel for Rakuten, which is Overdrive, which is Libby. Uh, well, which
1: is actually running this thing. I just scrolled yeah. down to the bottom of the website, and the copyright for panoramaproject.org goes to Rakuten, Rakuten Overdrive. Yeah. So that's also interesting. Like they definitely have a stake in how libraries and yes. library lending, especially of digital titles, affect publishers and well, so sales because they are Kobo. Right. Yeah. yeah. So this is not a neutral third party in conducting this investigation, which is just going to be important to remember.
0: Yeah. It's, it's but not a neutral third party. But they have they've got like. People from all parties at the table, because they also have Director of Digital Services at Ingram, Peter McCarthy. So they've got librarians, they've got retailers, they've got publishers. I think this is really interesting. Um, That it's public public is interesting, too. Like, why is this thing They have, Mm -hmm. like, a a picture of a, like, I don't, I really want to know the stock photo discussion that went on. That's a completely side, (laughs) like, it doesn't matter at all what's going on. It's all just
1: people standing on mountain vistas. Yeah.
0: Um, and they have, it looks like that it has its own funding. Like oh, the, they've Jeff, kicked in some they're
1: stuff. They're all panoramas. I, they're,
0: I think, you know, I think we're looking at a square, uh, it's a nice looking Squarespace template. And they picked like, uh, uh, they, they picked um, the, the great American West was the, the template <laughs> they picked. Uh, there's a project lead, his name is Cliff Gurin, and he's worked at, boy, Microsoft Reader, Apple, mm-hmm. like sounds like a pretty big deal. Um, they have a, they have a staff, uh, go check it out. If you're interested in this sort of thing, you, there's a way you can get involved too. It looks like there's, they're looking for people to, to, um, Participate in some way, and they said they will be publishing our findings. I'm, I just joined the mailing list, and in this the the stock photo for this one is an up close of a giant pair of binoculars, which for a minute I thought was basically a profile of Johnny Fry from Short Circuit. If you remember that movie, it looked like that. From anyway, uh, really interesting stuff here. I've never seen anything like this before. I'm not surprised. I mean, it's something that you know outsiders like you and I wandered about aimlessly. It could have really, it could really have results that some quarters will find troubling or mm-hmm. you know that will, a change in the status quo understanding and behavior I think is very likely
1: I think so well, at uh, least a change in the status quo of understanding yeah
0: right I'm, I'm <laughs> guessing if I'm putting my happen. ducats on one outcome that it turns out great for everyone is not the one I'm betting on that's just yeah. me maybe I'm a pessimist I, I don't know how to you know so I agree. Is that our show? I feel like our show. I think show. that's
1: our show, yeah. Yeah,
0: I have, my, my coffee was coursing through my veins. I really felt like I was up on that one. So <laughs> uh, for, let's see, what do you want? We want to hear about game nights mm-hmm. at bookstores, other non-book um, activities that a bookstore you know does and does well and successfully. We'd like to hear about that. Uh, we'd also like to hear, if you have Little Birdie or other information about the relationship of library holdings and book sales, We'd like to know. And just opinions about that sort of thing. I'd like to know. Oh, and I guess specifically this tour trial decision. It's not much of an experiment when you pull all the books, right? I mean, right. That's a, <laughs> they say it's a test, but when you test with all of your things, that feels more, <laughs> I don't know. That, that, I'm not sure that's how tests work, Rebecca Shitsky. Like, <laughs> it's not, not my experience. Uh, podcastbookwriter.com Thank you guys so much for listening. Rebecca, we'll talk to you next week.
1: Yep, have a good one.